hello and welcome to today's episode of the art and design of sci-fi and fantasy mystery and horror today i speak with uh, professor sean morland who has edited a book of essays on um hp lovecraft's critical thinking about horror uh speculative fiction the, the kind of stuff he writes so thank you and enjoy I'm speaking with Professor Sean Morland, editor of New Directions in Supernatural Horror Literature, The Critical Influence of H.P. Lovecraft. Thank you for speaking with me. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you. Tell me how you got into um, editing and working in uh, in this field. Well, I, uh, I, my PhD was done at the University of Ottawa. Uh, I completed it back in 2008. And uh, at that time, I was doing a lot of work on uh, 18th and 19th century Gothic writers. Uh, in particular, for my doctorate, I was focused on uh, two American Gothic writers, uh, one of whom everybody has heard of, the other of whom far fewer people have, uh, Charles Brockton Brown being the first and Edgar Allan Poe uh, being the second. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've had an interest in horror and gothic fiction and film really since a very, very early age, so it was a kind of nat- uh, natural progression for me in terms of my research and teaching to, uh, to deviate into that, uh, into that area. Mm-hmm. So, then tell me about uh, this book. So New Directions in Supernatural Horror Literature uh, is a, an essay collection. It's uh, got 12 chapters plus an introduction. Each chapter is written by a different contributor. Uh, all of the contributors are notable figures in terms of either the academic or scholarly side of studying horror, weird fiction, and the Gothic, or uh, and or in terms of uh, in terms of writing it. A number of the contributors are also uh, very esteemed and important writers of weird fiction and horror, including uh, including Helen Marshall and uh, Michael Sisko, notably. Uh, each chapter, the whole book responds not so much to Lovecraft's fiction as to the legacy of his critical views and focuses particularly on uh, the essay, which was originally published in a, in a semi-unfinished state of uh, supernatural horror and literature. So in, in 1927, it was published in a uh, an amateur journal called The Recluse, and Lovecraft continued to revise the essay uh, during his later life. He did some extensive revisions in 1933 and 1934, and it was eventually posthumously published in its entirety by uh, by Arkham House, as was uh, so much of Lovecraft's writing. Mm-hmm. And the book has really been in print since then, and it's had a tremendous influence on the course of uh, horror literature and weird fiction through the late 20th century and into the 21st. Uh, and it's often acknowledged as you know being a very crucial influence. But there hasn't really been a lot of sustained scholarly attention paid to that essay and to Lovecraft's critical influence in particular, as opposed to his fiction. So I uh, contacted a number of, uh, of colleagues and uh, writers, uh, scholars in the field whose work I admired uh, about uh, this project and was met with a lot of enthusiasm. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited by the lineup of contributors that we've got to the book. And I think uh, each of the chapters really delves into areas of Lovecraft's uh, Critical views, his historical, uh, his historical analysis, but also, I mean, his own aesthetic. The ideas that shaped Lovecraft's criticism, of course, also shaped his fiction. Mm-hmm. So some of the chapters in the book explore the intersection between those, uh, looking at Lovecraft's fiction, whereas others really look at how his critical views have had an influence on other writers, 
uh, including Stephen King, Caitlin R. Kiernan, uh, Thomas Ligotti, and uh, other forms of, uh, of cultural expression and media, including uh, games and film. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to admit, I haven't read um, his critical theory book, you know. Can you sort of give an idea of, of, of what he thought? Um, you know, what, what kind of themes you focus on as far as his, his. Yeah, well, the, the book begins with the resounding and famous statement that the oldest and strongest emotion of, uh, of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. So for Lovecraft, uh, what he variously calls weird fiction, uh, or the, uh, the literature of supernatural horror is focused on that particular emotion. And he grounds his discussion in contemporary 20th century psychology and a kind of uh, awareness of the, the biological and evolutionary underpinnings of, uh, of horror. Uh, one of the early chapters in the book, uh, written by a Danish scholar named Matthias Klazen, looks at the the psychobiological basis of Lovecraft's theory, and Clausen really uh, argues very forcefully that in many ways Lovecraft's view of horror and the way that horror fiction works is very much in keeping with contemporary 21st century uh, evolutionary psychological uh, you know, uh, studies of human nature and culture. Uh, Lovecraft goes on to produce a kind of, on the one hand, the essay is meant to be a kind of canonization of what he thought were the greatest works in the field. On the other, it's a historical survey, and the book tends to be strongest, most illuminating, uh, and uh, most forcefully written when it's talking about those writers whose work Lovecraft really responded to. So the section, for example, on 18th century Gothic fiction, he's drawing a lot from earlier criticism, Edith Burkhead's uh, the, uh, the Tale of Terror uh, and other critics of the Gothic. He doesn't have that much original to say about, uh, you know, the, the uh, early Gothic period, although he is, uh, for example, a very insightful commentator on Anne Radcliffe uh, herself. He really locks on to some of the things that uh, that this 18th century Gothic novelist is able to do, and he, uh, he makes some connections between what her work does uh, back in the 18th century and what Poe does in the 19th. And for Lovecraft, Poe is really the hinge on which modern horror and weird fiction swings. He really sees all of the writers leading up to Poe as being, uh, you know, kind of precursor figures. They're working in the dark without a real awareness of the kind of psychological and aesthetic basis of the fiction they're writing. But when it comes to Poe, Lovecraft thinks, you know, he was a great psychologist who really understood the kind of nature of horror and how it can best be expressed and explored through literary means. So in a certain sense, although he devotes the first few chapters to, uh, you know, early modern and 18th century examples of horror and the supernatural, it's really when he turns to Poe that the book uh, really starts to take on a life of his own, a uh, life of its own, and Lovecraft's uh, knowledge and his enthusiasms really shine through. So, does uh, I'm not I I don't know how much uh, of his correspondence has been preserved or other writings beyond his fiction. Is this his one his one work that deals with um, you know critical theory, or does he have other? Is there other documentation that that these uh, essays draw on? Yeah, there's he wrote quite. Ex- 
extensively on the subject, but supernatural horror and literature was his most ambitious treatment. I mean, it's, you know, it's ultimately, it's a monograph. It's, uh, it, it grew to a very short book length. Uh, in terms of its discussion, and it was obviously very important to Lovecraft because he continued to augment it and revise it through the course of his later life. As I said, it was first published in 1927, but he was continuing to revise it pretty intensely, especially up until 1934 and uh, and even thereafter. So it was important to him to you know kind of bring it up to date. Uh, S.T. Joshi's chapter in uh, New Directions in Supernatural Horror particularly explores Lovecraft changing uh, critical views of the writers that he considered to be the titans of, uh, of weird fiction. So those include Lord Dunsany, uh, Walter Delamere, uh, Blackwood, uh, Machen, and so on. And Lovecraft really continued to rethink his own relationship with these writers and the uh, kind of achievement that they, uh, that they managed to attain uh, throughout the course of his later life. But he wrote other essays on supernatural horror, on weird fiction, etc., and his letters, his voluminous output of letters. I mean, Lovecraft uh, was one of the most prolific letter writers of the 20th century, and a lot of his letters refer to horror fiction, the supernatural. He works out a lot of theories, a lot of ideas uh, through his letters to, uh, to other writers, some of which make it back into the revisions he makes supernatural horror and literature later, others of which are incorporated in essays, including uh, notes on weird fiction, some notes of a non-entity, and other uh, other essays that Lovecraft writes on the subject. Mm-hmm. How did you, um, how did you choose, how did you set up uh, what essays you wanted in the book? You know, how much was that your choice? How much did it just kind of evolve organically, say? Yeah, that's a good question, and it was uh, it was definitely a little bit of both because the uh, the pers- prospective contributors that I approached, you know, I knew of their work in in sort of particular veins in particular areas. So uh, one of the uh, the kind of main points of impetus for the project was uh, a conference. I think it was back in 2015, uh, the International Conference for the Fantastic in the Arts. Uh, we had a, a panel uh, discussion or a paper session devoted to, uh, to Lovecraft. And uh, John Glover was among the presenters. Helen Marshall was among the presenters. Matthias Bazin was among the presenters. And their papers at this conference really kind of, uh, I don't know, reinforced for me uh, the lack of a volume like this and the importance of putting one together. So I approached them specifically with the work that they presented at the conference in mind as areas of coverage that I thought would be ideally suited to a project like this. And then as I approached other prospective contributors, I sort of had in mind particular areas uh, that I knew that they had done work in, that they were uh, strong commentators on. Uh, Vivian Ralicus, another of our, uh, another of the contributors, for example, has published what I think is uh, to this day one of the best uh, essays on love prep aesthetics and the relationship between cosmic horror and uh, the aesthetics of the sublime. So I reached out to her to see if she would contribute a chapter to this. Gina Whisker has written a lot on uh, feminist responses to and critiques of Lovecraft, so she was also a natural choice to write a chapter focusing in some way on, uh, on that topic, on that subject area. And so it evolved a little bit uh, with me suggesting a general topic area to the contributors, but then they each came up with an abstract and a more specific area on their own. And I think it came, uh, it comes together in a very complimentary way. I'm quite happy with the kind of coverage 
that the uh, the book provides, that the 12 different chapters provide, and there's a really strong dialogue between uh, many of the chapters. You know, there's a sense of complementarity there that I was really pleased with. But of course, with that said, Lovecraft influence is complex, it's pervasive, it's problematic, and there's a lot of other things that could have been covered, that could have been touched on, which uh, which don't make it into uh, into this volume. Mm-hmm. Lots more work to do for uh, for scholars and uh, and critics and theorists and writers of uh, of weird fiction, supernatural fiction, and horror in those areas. Okay, uh, before we move on, were there did, have you covered all sort of the uh, the themes that the book explores, or is there anything else you wanted to mention? Um, well, I could just run through a list of the, the chapter titles, if that would be uh, of, of interest, which gives oh, a pretty strong sense of, you know, uh, the different focal points that the book takes. Um, sure. I mentioned uh, uh, my, my chapter, which is the, the first chapter in the volume, looks at uh, the relationship between Lovecraft's conception of cosmic horror and uh, this first century Roman poet named Lucretius. Uh, who was a, a kind of classical atomist, a radical materialist poet that Lovecraft identified strongly with. He often cited himself as being in a line of materialist thinkers going back to uh, the Greek philosopher Epicurus and, uh, and the Roman poet Lucretius. And I argue that uh, cosmic horror can best be understood as a kind of modernist mutation of uh, Lucretius, of his idea of the atomic sublime, this kind of entropic picture of a material universe in which everything is just a very provisional amalgamation coming together of atomic components that are also constantly uh, constantly falling apart, this emphasis on transformation and perishability. That's such a signal part of Lovecraft's writing. Hmm. Uh, the next chapter is Matthias Clausen's, and he argues, as I said, that Lovecraft's uh, understanding of psychology is in many ways borne out by 21st century evolutionary psychological concerns. So he really goes into uh, Lovecraft's ideas of fear and horror and what makes effective horror fiction with uh, a contemporary uh, psychobiological uh, psychobiological perspective. Uh, the third chapter is written by uh, psychiatrist Sharon Packer, and it looks both at uh, the history of uh, of psychoanalysis and Freudian uh, psychology, and Lovecraft's response to uh, Jewish mysticism. Lovecraft was uh, pretty notorious for his anti-Semitic views, but Packer points out he was also, at least to some degree, uh, an insightful commentator on uh, some some Jewish supernatural uh, traditions. Uh, He looks particularly at the play uh, The Dibbuk by uh, S. Ansky in uh, Supernatural Horror Literature. Mm Um, then we've got, uh, Alyssa Berger, who explores in some detail the way that Stephen King has received and built on Lovecraft's ideas of, uh, of horror. And King, of course, really helped to raise Lovecraft's popular profile in the 1980s. He recommended that readers of his, uh, of his nonfiction study of horror, Dante McCall, seek out Lovecraft's essay. He kind of situates it as being one of the most important essays written on, uh, the history of horror fiction. Uh, Helen Marshall looks at uh, how Lovecraft theories of horror can be applied to medieval literature. Uh, she notes that Lovecraft was hardly a medieval scholar. He was, you know, not very strong on medieval history and culture, uh, but his ideas of what constitutes, uh, you know, a horror story, his idea of cosmic horror, nonetheless has some uh, useful bearings on medieval writings, and particularly the penitential poem, The Prick of Conscience. 
Uh, Vivian Rallicus looks at how Lovecraft draws on uh, dandyism as a, as a kind of artistic, uh, aesthetic, and social movement, both in the 18th and 19th century, and how, uh, how figures like uh, Brummel and Oscar Wilde shaped Lovecraft's uh, sense of himself, his own identity, and uh, his approach to fiction. Uh, John Glover looks at how Lovecraft's uh, ideas of horror and the weird have shaped uh, subsequent criticism, how uh, they've influenced the course of weird fiction through the late 20th and into the 21st century. But Glover also really looks at how, uh, both for better and worse, the writers with whom Lovecraft was exchanging letters and ideas, uh, how the ways that they took and spun his concept, his mythology, and so on, have affected his uh, his later reception as a writer. S.T. Joshi, uh, again, uh, looks at Lovecraft's shifting analysis of some of the uh, the titans of weird fiction in the 20th century. Michael Sisko uh, embarks on a really interesting philosophical speculation about the nature of the bizarre. He kind of looks at the bizarre as uh, an experiential category, and he sees Lovecraft as, uh, as opening this up as a, as a possibility, rather than seeing it as something that's confined to the world of the, of the literary, how it's something that, you know, we actually experience on a, on a daily basis, in a way. Um, Gina Whisker uh, takes a kind of feminist critical stance on reading Lovecraft's essay, but then goes on to focus on a number of, uh, of later women writers who've used Lovecraft's work uh, to good effect and really have exploded some of the more misogynistic aspects of his fiction. She looks particularly at British writer Angela Carter, uh, the American writer Caitlin R. Kiernan, and a really fantastic collection of short fiction that came out in 2015 called She Walks in Shadows, which was edited by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia and Paula Stiles. And this, uh, to your listeners, I can't recommend enough as a great example of the kind of multiplicity of, uh, of approaches to Lovecraftian fiction uh, that, that have been taken, and in this case, uh, exclusively by, uh, by women writers. Hmm. Brian Hauser then uh, takes some of Lovecraft's ideas about uh, weird fiction and horror and applies them to uh, 20th and 21st century film. He really uses Lovecraft's critical concepts to open up a paradigm within film studies uh, that, you know, approaches uh, the weird in a variety of ways. He talks about a number of films, including uh, It Follows, uh, as being, in certain respects, Lovecraftian. And uh, finally, Brian Johnson uh, looks at the way that Lovecraft's work was shaped by some of the some of the homophobic social context of the early 20th century, uh, how paranoia, panic, and weirdness are tied together in terms of their uh, their cultural construction through the 20th century, and how Lovecraft's work represents a kind of troubling example of the, uh, the synthesis of a lot of these uh, a lot of these strands and ideas. So, I want to make sure I frame this this question the right way. Um, how do you how do you research or edit a work like this? Do you just basically reread all of his work? Uh, you know, his th- this main book and all of his works. Um, how do you? I, I know it's a lot of it is informed opinion, but how do you go about making sure it, it it's right? You know that what you read it has a solid sort of a factual foundation and, and theoretical foundation and, and all of that. Yeah, 
so that's a good question, particularly because uh, the contributors are often coming from very different uh, approaches, from very different interdisciplinary backgrounds, um, and it that varies from chapter to chapter. But each is grounded very closely in existing, uh, you know, in existing studies of Lovecraft's work, whether it's literary history and criticism, whether it's the massive body of uh, text he left behind in the form of not only his, his essays, his fiction and critical writings, but especially of his letters. Uh, in the case of uh, Clausen's chapter, for example, uh, he's extremely up-to-date on contemporary evolutionary psychology and the kind of research that's been done into how uh, horror fits within our evolved nature, as well as quite well-read on, you know, the, the uh, Lovecraft's own writings and the criticism uh, thereon. So it's a it's a collaborative process in that each of the contributors to this volume is already a fairly established figure in the field of you know weird fiction, horror, gothic, uh, or Lovecraft studies. Uh, but through a kind of back and forth, as I was working revising each of the chapters with them, I would often suggest other sources that they should look at, paradigms that they should think about. Uh, and in some cases, you know, that was, uh, that was also true in, uh, in Converse. Uh, a contributor would recommend a source to me that I would then consult and recommend to, uh, to another of the contributors. The volume then passed through a, uh, a peer review process at, uh, at Palgrave. So they brought on an anonymous, uh, expert in some of these areas to give some feedback, make some suggestions and recommendations on, uh, each of the chapters. Uh, at which point it was then sent back to the contributors, and uh, the, each contributor and I, you know, had another go at it, just making sure the uh, the arguments were as forcefully made as possible, and the research done to, you know, to the uh, the best of our respective abilities. Mm. So, yeah. So, did you have the opportunity, or even need, to uh, look at his any of his original papers, or is that pretty much all available, you know, online or transcribed somewhere? Yeah, that's a good question, too. Well, the Lovecraft archives are at uh, the John Hayes Special Collection at Brown University Library in Providence, and they're actually in the process now of digitizing all of them. And I think most of them have been made available digitally uh, through the uh, through the library special collections portal, although some of those uh, some of those papers, especially some of the letters, I think, have yet to be put up. I was actually in Providence last week doing some research on uh, on a different, although not entirely unrelated subject. I was looking at Caitlin R. Kiernan's archives for a paper on her run of uh, the comic book The Dreaming back in the 90s, which was a Sandman, uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman spin-off. So I have consulted some of the the Lovecraft archives there, although none of that really came into play in my chapter in this volume, and I think, uh, I don't think many, I don't think really any of the contributors in this volume uh, used the unpublished work uh, to any great extent in writing their chapters. But again, a lot of that stuff is being made uh, available digitally through uh, through John Hayes Special Collections at this point. So I think uh, in the next couple of years, there'll be a resurgence of Lovecraft scholarship that's much more uh, broad and detailed in its its awareness of this kind of textual continuum of his writings, including his letters. I do a lot of work, uh, a lot of research and writing on Edgar Allan Poe, and the difference, one of the major differences between writing on Poe and writing on Lovecraft is that in Poe's case, there remains a lot of room for speculation, because we have a comparatively small body of his letters and other assorted writings available to us, 
to flesh out, you know, in terms of author biography and his personal history, uh, his, uh, his poetry, his fiction, and so on. But that's not the case with Lovecraft. Because of this huge body of, uh, of you know, epistolary writing he produced, these thousands and thousands of letters, it's, uh, it's something of a rabbit hole anytime you want to look into some aspect of Lovecraft's life and thought, because there's this tremendous body of, you know, his, his personal writings and his letters that you can, uh, you can look to, to reinforce or to disprove a particular hypothesis or argument that you might be making about, uh, about his work. You know, his ideas, his critical views, and so on. What part of working on this book was most enjoyable? Reading the, uh, yeah, reading each of the chapters for the first time, uh, you know, having had a, a, an exchange uh, by email and in some cases in conversation with each of the contributors, uh, having some idea of what I was hoping that they would come up with, the direction that, you know, I was hoping that their papers would take, and then seeing that not only realized, but in many cases just, you know, completely gone beyond uh, having the kind of pleasure of having each of them open up these new apertures in uh, in appreciation or in understanding of uh, Lovecraft's critical views, both in terms of uh, his achievement and in terms of his tremendous limitations and the kinds of consequences those limitations have had, given how influential uh, supernatural horror and literature and his other critical writings have been through the 20th and into the 21st century. So definitely that, you know, that sort of first rush of being introduced to these, uh, to these ideas, having them presented uh, to me by each of the contributors for the first time. What did you uh, learn during this process that was most surprising? Hmm. If anything. <laughs> you know. Well, quite a, quite a bit, really. I guess that, that varies. Uh, in general terms, uh, it's always amazing to me uh, both how much there remains to be understood and how much, uh, you know, can be drawn from and how much can be created from as well. The work of a writer who has, by this point, been the subject of so much criticism, so much uh, scholarly writing, so much, you know, both fictional and critical speculation is Lovecraft. But then on the, uh, the other hand, there's also just the tremendous amount of work that goes into putting together a book of this sort. You know, uh, I always, having done a couple of uh, edited collections before, I think I, I half forget how much is involved before I embark on another one, uh, and I'm always struck again just by, you know, how much uh, how much needs to be done in terms of bringing these, uh, these things together. As far as particular revelations from the chapters are concerned, I had really never thought much about the applicability of Lovecraft's ideas uh, of horror to uh, medieval writing, for example. I'm not a medievalist by, uh, by specialization and training, so Helen Marshall's chapter really, I think, uh, you know, quite uniquely and powerfully opened up uh, this, this field, this area of inquiry for me. Michael Sisko's chapter, uh, I don't know if you've read any of Sisko's uh, fiction, but he's, he's one of the most fascinating weird writers uh, writing in the 21st century, and his, uh, his prose writing, his sort of more academic essays, are really, in certain respects, just as strange and just as uh, kind of fascinatingly uh, unsettling as his fictions tend, uh, tend to be. So, But really, each of the chapters, you know, contained something I had not thought about, really didn't have a grasp on before, despite having gone into this, you know, having done previous work on research on Lovecraft. 
I found in each case, you know, things were being brought to my attention, things were being illuminated that I had really never, uh, never thought of before. So I could, you know, I could certainly point to something like that that each chapter had, uh, had brought to light for me. Mm -hmm. Is there a uh, particularly difficult question uh, related to uh, Lovecraft's thinking that, uh, that you think w was difficult to really get a grasp on during the production of this? Or is there an issue that still exists that uh, you'd like to see addressed? If that makes sense. Yeah, really quite quite a few. I mean, one thing that, that springs to mind, the, you know, the kind of politics of Lovecraft's uh, reception and influence in, in terms of contemporary speculative fiction, contemporary horror. Of course, there is the whole, uh, you know, the debacle surrounding the, uh, the World Fantasy Award, the so-called Howley Award in Lovecraft's image, uh, the, the degree to which a widespread knowledge of the extent of Lovecraft's very virulent racism has really circulated in the 21st century. And those are things that I, I think, um, you know, I've heard on, on, uh, I've heard many people comment, well, yeah, so Lovecraft was a racist. You just kind of acknowledge that and admit that and move on. But there's a lot more to it than that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think a lot of work remains to be done on, you know, for example, how the kind of racial, uh, the kind of racial subtending of a lot of Lovecraft thinking ties into other writers of the modernist period, for example, how it continues to serve as a kind of uh, motivating factor for different uh, different social groups. You know, there has been a tendency amongst some very xenophobic conservative thinkers to rally around uh, Lovecraft partially because of that aspect of his writing, whereas that's also posed something of a problem for uh, Lovecraft fans, enthusiasts, and to some degree scholars uh, who, you know, recognize the importance of Lovecraft's, uh, Lovecraft's writing and his critical ideas and wrestle to somehow integrate that with some of the, uh, some of the racial and social viewpoints that he, uh, he espoused or, you know, some of the misogyny that, uh, that sometimes comes through in his work. Mm -hmm. uh, but Lovecraft was a really interesting writer on a wide variety of phenomena. So something else that, uh, you know, there just remains a lot to be explored is uh, the way in which his knowledge of contemporary philosophical uh, issues, his engagement with Einstein's writings and the, uh, the special and general theory of relativity are relevant to the kinds of fiction that he ends up writing, his ideas about uh, his ideas about the weird, his ideas about horror and supernaturalism. Really, there are so many areas on which Lovecraft's uh, thought and writing touch. I think that's part of what has made him, um, you know, a, con a continuously resonant writer, even for uh, people coming to him in the 21st century mm. for the first time, a kind of, you know, uncannily, uncannily, untimely uh, contemporary, uh, contemporary aspect to his thought, to his writing, but also you know, an aspect that's extremely retrogressive and, uh, and highly antiquated. Mm -hmm. Uh, you bring up a point that, uh, I've always thought, and maybe, maybe my thinking is superficial, um, but it's always been interesting that if Lovecraft's, if some of his horror stems from his, his racism, like a fear, literally a fear of that which he doesn't know and is not part of his, his culture, um, if fear and horror stem can stem from that, it makes you wonder and question, you know, where does 
current horror come from? You know, what, from, from what well does it spring? You know, what is it you actually fear? You know, where, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of just the fundamental fear of, uh, of difference, right? The unknown is always closely linked to anything which is, is different from, uh, oneself, from, you know, how you see or how you identify yourself, how you perceive yourself. So horror is always tied up with alterity, right? With difference, uh, as much on a kind of social and cultural register as on, you know, a metaphysical cosmic register, which is the ultimate emphasis that Lovecraft's uh, late fictions in particular uh, focus on. So Stephen King commented, and uh, this also is in uh, Dance Macabre, his, uh, it was published in 1981, uh, autobiographical essay on horror, that horror writers are uh, like the Republican banker in a three-piece suit in that they're constantly exploiting common fears in order to make a buck, right, in order to gain some kind of power or some kind of privilege. And, you know, there's a sense in which Lovecraft's, uh, Lovecraft's fiction, the intersection of his more cosmic and metaphysical anxieties and his very xenophobic tendencies is one of the more dramatic examples of, uh, of the, the truth of that statement. Mm-hmm. So was there anything that you... Uh discovered that emotionally moved you. I don't know if that's possible, you know, with such academic research, but perhaps there is. Yeah, well, I find reading Lovecraft's letters in general to be a really, um, you know, really unsettling, uh, but sometimes fairly emotional um, experience. And in part, it's because of, you know, the juxtaposition of tremendously incisive, uh, you know, insightful and articulate thought on very complex topics and issues, and then, you know, you dive from that into, you know, writing about his experiences in New York, the kind of mixed-race polyglot of languages he sees around him, and he imagines that a capsule of cyanide gas is the only solution for this. You go from this kind of, you know, complexity, this kind of uh, richness of thought to this absolutely vicious and virulent kind of phobic sensibility, you know, often on, uh, on, on a dime. So that's one of the more unsettling things about really working with Lovecraft's, uh, Lovecraft's writings a lot, reading his letters in particular. For me, one of the most touching things I've ever read, uh, by Lovecraft is in a 1937 letter he wrote to a man named uh, Niels Fromm, and at that point, Lovecraft uh, was, uh, he, he died of, uh, of intestinal cancer, complications related from intestinal cancer, mm. and uh, he would have been in at least the early stages of that at that point, and it's just a meditation on uh, on the foolishness of desiring immortality. He, he says, in effect, you know, what is immortality that human beings should even want if we are these perishable assemblages of material like everything else, but there's no need to despair there. We should, uh, because of that, precisely because of our recognition of that, take as much pleasure as we can in intellectual pursuits and the appreciation of art. And after all, we are uh, more complex than these other, uh, than any other form of energy transformation and exchange that comes within our purview. There's a certain kind of grandeur, you know, there's a certain kind of sublimity, for lack of a better word, in that uh, in that view, and it's that aspect of wonder that Lovecraft sometimes captures that I think makes his work uh, compelling enough that this, 
despite all of the uh, all of the really deeply troubling or problematic, or you know, in some cases, uh, some of the more hackneyed aspects of it that you know gives it this kind of enduring resonance and appeal. What do you hope beyond a, a fuller understanding of Lovecraft? What do you hope uh, this book will do? I think uh, for anybody interested in horror gothic fiction, weird fiction in the 20th century and beyond into the 21st. Uh, the book will, you know, illuminate a lot of things about those areas. Uh, for those who aren't as, uh, who aren't necessarily as invested in those subjects, though, it's, you know, it's also, to some degree at least, a work of cultural history uh, and a work of popular philosophy. Different chapters sort of break down uh, differently in different directions there. But I think in terms of the general reader with an interest in, for example, you know, literary history, um, in, uh, in the way that philosophy links into, uh, to popular fiction, uh, I think the, the book will have some appeal. I think it will have some strength. And of course, I hope that it continues to generate, you know, more discussion, more debate, more research in terms of, uh, in terms of Lovecraft's thought, in terms of his critical writing, in terms of his fiction. But perhaps even more importantly, I hope it leads to uh, further discussion of some of the other writers and thinkers that get uh, woven into, integrated, analyzed in terms of Lovecraft's uh, influence uh, and his critical concepts. Uh, so again, you know, Caitlin Kiernan and Thomas Ligotti, uh, Stephen King, the way in which the weird has become such a quintessential part of contemporary 21st century film, even outside of the horror genre, something that Brian Hauser that they touches on. That's something that uh, I really hope is uh, is further explored by uh, by other writers in the near future. So, you know, the hope is that the, the book will trigger and feed into some of these uh, very different uh, discussions. So this question may seem a little odd, and I think we sort of touched on it, but if someone doesn't know Lovecraft and reads this book, what kind of person would they come away thinking he was? <laughs> um, yeah, somebody, I think somebody who comes to this book without uh, much prior knowledge of Lovecraft would have an impression of a tremendously complex and contradictory uh, thinker and writer. And I, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's to some degree a fair assessment. Um, my uh, my mother read my introductory essay uh, about a month and a half ago, and uh, her comment was, Lovecraft was kind of a racist, wasn't he? And that was just something she apparently, you know, she, she didn't realize. She hadn't really read or thought much about, uh, about Lovecraft's views. Uh, but that's become increasingly the thing that people who don't have a tremendous knowledge of Lovecraft's uh, you know, fiction, critical views, etc., have started to associate him with. And I think the book also offers up other apertures of his thought and his writing than, well, he was a racist guy who wrote horror fiction, or, you know, he was a horror writer who also held these, uh, these uh, troubling uh, social views, racial views, and so on. Mm-hmm. So I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the book is going to appeal more to those who already have at least sort of a general knowledge of an interest in uh, in Lovecraft, it would be a pretty steep starting place for you know uh, an average reader who's never read one of Lovecraft's stories, for example, or who doesn't have much interest in uh, in uh, weird fiction or in horror. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, can you speak to any difficulties you had in getting uh, in finishing the book 
or getting it published? Were there any, if if any, and uh, how you overcame those? Not not so much in getting it published. In this case, I had sent a uh, I'd sent a proposal to Palgrave at a pretty early point in the project. I think I gathered abstracts from the contributors, sent it in. They were very interested. The problem was more in actually bringing it all together and getting it done. Uh, this kind of work really doesn't, uh, you know, it's not remunerative. It doesn't pay, uh, and it also, it, it's something that, you know, probably like your podcasts, I, I wedge in between teaching uh, teaching courses uh, at university, doing other forms of writing, doing paid editing, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, it takes me a while to really bring uh, this amount of material together and push it forward. Uh, and of course, it takes the contributors a uh, considerable amount of time to write their chapters. And then, from you know, when the uh, the first abstracts are submitted to when the uh, the first revised draft of the book has come out, it's more than a year and a half has elapsed. And at that point, there's sort of a okay, well, what needs to be added? What needs to be integrated? What needs to be caught up on in the uh, in the downtime? So getting it published really was not a problem. But of course. Bringing it all together and getting it to a point of, uh, of completion is, is always, uh, with a project like this, uh, a challenge. So do you have uh, a next project in mind? I've got a, a few things that I'm, uh, that I'm working on. Uh, I'm slowly working away on a monograph, uh, on, a, on a book that I've just been, been thinking about, been ruminating over for a couple of years now, but I'm quite a, quite a ways from finishing it. The tentative title would be... Uh, Repulsive Influences, a, uh, a history of atomic horror, where uh, I'll look at the ways in which uh, the evolution of horror literature from the early modern period and the Gothic period uh, intersects with the reception of uh, Lucretius's poem De Rerum Natura and this kind of uh, atomistic and materialistic philosophy shaping a lot of cultural debates and popular anxieties about the nature of material uh, and uh, the nature of mortality. But yeah, that's uh, that's a kind of long-range project. I'm working on a, an essay collection that I'm editing focused on Charles Beaumont, uh, who's probably best remembered as one of the chief writers for the original Twilight Zone uh, series, Rod Serling's Twilight Zone, but it was also a tremendously accomplished uh, short story writer and uh, and novelist, screenwriter, etc. So slowly putting together an essay collection by multiple contributors uh, on that. Uh, that's all that springs to mind right now, though. I guess this book will be available online. I guess Amazon will have it. And um, is there is there any place online people can find your writings or thoughts? Do you have a website, social media? Yeah, I sometimes uh, I have a website uh, where I blog occasionally, write reviews, do author features, post interviews with authors called Postscripts to Darkness. That's at www.pstdarkness.com. Um, you can find, if you go to uh, my profile there, uh, there are links to some of the short fiction I've published over the years, poetry I've published over the years, as well as other essays. Uh, some of which are available online. Unfortunately, most of my academic writing is, you know, behind a paywall or uh, or in uh, in an essay collection, uh, something like that. But uh, you can find links to those, which are available uh, if you look at my profile on uh, Postscripts to Darkness. Okay, um, that's all the questions I have. Do you have any final thoughts? No, I don't think so. Those were uh, really, you know, intriguing and generative questions. So thank you very much for that. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening.
Don't forget to visit chrisalvarez.com or theartofsciencefiction.com for more great interviews, photos, and articles. Your visits help support this podcast. Please remember that my first name, Chris, does not have an H in it. One of the best ways to provide feedback for this podcast is to rate me on iTunes. Please give me a good rating if you liked it, or feel free to give me a bad rating if you didn't. I'll use that feedback to make this a better podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram under Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi, on Facebook under Chris Alvarez WLC, on YouTube under Chris Alvarez WLC, and on Twitter under Chris Alvarez WLC. Thanks for listening and keep imagining the future.